Welcome to On My Own Dime. I'm your host, Jason McCormack. We are back for part two with MC, vocalist, songwriter, producer, and cultural organizer, Coco Pela. Her new EP just dropped this month. It's called Confessions of a Black Feminist Rapper, part three. If you didn't catch part one last week, go back and hear what you missed first. Here we go, right where we left off. In another dimension, I'm like, I'm like a quantum physicist or like a a marine biologist or something. It just, music, no matter how, every time I stepped away from it, it followed me. But I didn't get to, you know, do the studying to, to be, become a scientist or like understand that, but I would love to, I would love to get together with, you know, a group of scientists and mathematicians and historians and be able to come up with a formula for, you know, okay, based on the movement of this much, and it's, it is quantifiable. It, that, that's the thing. Like we have, there is not a lot of resource put into understanding how much resource has been extracted and exploited from the continent, but also from the African diaspora. Because when we even look at like that movement of hundreds of years, right, of people being transported and captured and then bought and sold, and then that labor, that free labor being exploited and extracted here in the U.S., we we could at least estimate, right? If we have our math skills, we could at least estimate like this translates to approximately X amount of dollars, X billion amount of dollars. Or, you know, we can also, we could, if we were moving with integrity, which is hard to do under capitalism, we could be like, huh, how many oil companies, like you said, like, foreign oil companies are currently in not just Africa, but many countries around the world, right? Where it's like, and why is it that you get to own this land and extract this resource? So we could decide, hey, actually these either agreements or laws or conditions happen in an unethical way. And so we're actually going to pause and stop What would it look like if we had several different formulas to A, calculate how much resource has been extracted and then return that resource? B, stop certain extraction. I mean, the thing, the problem and the scary thing, I think when we look, it's so funny, we're supposed to be talking about music, but we're talking about (laughs) really what's underneath the music for, for me in this era, which is like, this is the thing I think that's very hard for us as USers to become comfortable with a certain type of lifestyle or access to resources and then to to theoretically to say, okay, I want to share my resources with you, but do I really want to have to give up? Like if if we really take a, a clear look at where are these resources coming from? Are they ours? Is it ethical for us to have access to them? What industries, you know, and what part of our economy is Um, being bolstered up or fed by these resources and these unethical systems. If we were to take those, like dismantle those systems, it would impact us in such a huge way. And we would, we would not have this, the comfortable lives that we have now. But the thing that I think is like, what is better than comfort is like, true human connection and also being in right relationship with yourself and with the planet, you know, and with your community, which I feel like we're a part of a global family. So 
anyway, I feel like I would love, I would love for us to be able to shift things so that we could be in, in right relationship and we could kind of end these super unethical systems and ways of, of being and functioning um, economically and otherwise. And then also, I think that like, I don't have the answer as like a mixed heritage Black woman who has a white parent and was born and raised in the U.S. <laughs> like for me to be like, hey, African people, I have the answer for you is like such a, a arrogant, like U.S. behavior anyway. Yeah. But for me, I feel like I have a piece of the answer for those like me, African heritage people who are descendants of enslaved African people who reside in the U.S., not as a result of immigrating by choice or whatever, but because their ancestors were stolen and transported against their will. I have a, a, a piece of the answer and I'm inviting and trying to learn like, what is the best way? Like, what are the folks on the continent? What would they say? Like, what's the, what's the answer? What do you need? What kind of resources? What, what systems and institutions that are currently in place where you live need to be shifted so that things can, so that, I mean, literally, so people can have like breathable air and drinkable water and edible food. Like we're not even talking like so that people can run around and floss and and (laughs) live in (laughs) mansions. We're just talking about like basic human birthrights, you know? So anyway, um, I'll just say that. I have a couple couple thoughts to interject. That's such a humble approach to like having such a specific mission because a lot of times you hear like this is the problem and we're the answer. Not this is the problem. Let's talk about it more. Like let's we care about it, so we're going to keep talking about it with everybody and try to find the answer rather than what, yeah, you, you, you said the word arrogant rather than having that arrogant approach of like, listen to me, I, like, I have the experience, so I should decide. So that's very different to hear, um, but I think it's a great approach. And the other thing I wanted to say was like, to me, there is like a guilt factor. I remember when I was 17 thinking like, I don't know if I should buy a gas car mm-hmm. because everything should be electric soon which is laughable now because I'm, I'm turning 34 soon <laughs> and right. I still have gasoline vehicles. But also I think the phrase I've heard is like, I'm living in the world as it is. And it's this push and pull between like, yes, I feel guilt because I'm still contributing. I'm still living in the world as it is, but also like I, I didn't build these systems. Mm-hmm but no one else is going to fix it and no one else is going to care about mm-hmm. us. So I, f- I feel definitely that obligation to care. Like one thing that drives some people around me crazy is like the recycling thing where I'll be like, don't, don't put that there. This one you have to wash or like whatever. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And realistically, that's not very impactful, but that comes from guilt, <laughs> mm-hmm, not from mm-hmm. like, is this effective? But I think there's that element for, us living and being raised in the U.S., like, well, we didn't do this, but we still feel wrong. And it puts you in this really 
strange place of like being kind of powerless, but being maybe responsible for finding the solutions or contributing somehow, you know, and I think that's like that discomfort area where it's like, how, how do I say that? There's not a word for that, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I just wanted to add, add those couple thoughts. I didn't expect to talk about climate. It's just funny. Cause it's like, you just can't get me to not talk about it, but I wasn't expecting to talk about it. But then I'm like, well, now that you've asked me, Jason, yeah, well, I actually have a lot of thoughts on this. Well, that's what's fun for me is like, I don't have an agenda. There's always something in common that I have with a, a person I invite, but I don't necessarily have an agenda. And so we end up talking about all kinds of interesting stuff. It's just, I just like that part of, of hosting a podcast, like reconnecting with people and finding out the stuff that you wouldn't even know to ask them. And when you have an agenda or a script, I mean, I've never worked with a script, so I guess I can't speak against doing that. Maybe that's just fine, but I, I don't think it would happen the same way if I did that, you know, like if I came on here, I was like, okay, so tell me about your latest track above all that. Mm-hmm. Go. Okay. Stop. Now tell me about the next track. Okay. Right. Stop. Right. Right. <laughs> um, but also I feel like I, you know, whatever you, people are comfortable sharing about themselves. Like you mentioned in hip hop, that authenticity is, is the most important thing for yeah. an artist. Or, you know, if you don't consider yourself an artist, just anyone participating in a producer or whatever. So you mentioned that. And I think that permeates across like the entire music industry, really, because people, I, you remember it, what was it in the nineties? Um, being a poser. Oh yeah. Like that was like the the worst insult someone could say to me yeah. was that I was a poser. Yeah. And that I think that has origins in like the skateboarding community and would bled, bled into like the punk rock and on into the whole music industry. But that thread I think has been with music for probably as long as anyone can remember. Yeah. When people share this stuff that's like, oh, I didn't think I was gonna talk about that. <laughs> I think it just shows that authenticity, you know? Yeah. I did get to, on my ride home, listen to some of your newer tracks. And, like, I feel that they really address their, you know, <laughs> the voice is talking about the same messages. Um, mm-hmm. And even, like, I noticed you're, you identify as, uh, did you say mixed background? I really identify as, like, African heritage, but I identify as, like, mixed heritage but it's mixed i think partly because yeah i would say it's it's different for everyone but just the way that the way that anti-black racism functions is like when your phenotype really looks more african and particularly here like west african you get treated in a certain way and you would you get treated as a black person. So oftentimes those of us that have like more kinky hair or, you know, it's clear that we have West African features. A lot of, a lot of those of us who are also mixed heritage might even identify like more strongly with being black because that's like part of the lived experience. Um, But yeah, so I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't say that I, I am mixed heritage. I feel like my identity because of my experiences, I'm like, I'm black. But the truth is like, I'm a mixed heritage black woman. And so I know that that's gotta be different than if you have two two black parents, you know, um, for many, for a multitude of reasons. But 
Well, I still think that all of that contributes to like revealing the authenticity behind your mm-hmm. music, you know, like just the fact that we couldn't help but talk about that for 40 minutes first before we before we talk about music. Yeah. And and like I said, I don't have an agenda, so if we don't want to talk about um any one song or we don't have Oh no, to, we know. can talk about it. Let's talk about it. People <laughs> need to hear my music. Yeah. I well, love my okay. music and I want people to hear it. I want them to listen to it. I want them to put it on editorial playlists. I want it on the radio. I want it on TVs and in movies. Um I love my music. I am finally at a place where I'm in love with what I'm doing and I play my own music, not because I'm self-absorbed, but I'm like, this is a good song. (laughs) (laughs) Well, what's cool is that it's like your, your message is something that's a real problem, but your, your music and like your voice and your personality is also uplifting. If you, if you want, I'll kick it off. I think I just listened to Remember in which you address like a lot of the different heritages mm-hmm. that you come from. And before that, I listened to Above All That and uh, a few others in between. But I really liked the artwork, the pictures with the um, butterfly wings behind you, like the Thank black and white you. paint, the pop of color. Um, that really stood out to me. But yeah, do, pick which one you want to talk about first. So... Remember, I think the song that you're talking about is um, the one that addresses the having multiple heritages is Forward Ever. And Forward Ever is the one where I talk about my ancestors and I start out talking about my African ancestors. But in the second verse, I'm talking about actually my European ancestors and my African ancestors that immigrated from St. Kitts and from Italy and Germany and France. Um, so let's see, I'll say one thing that, that in, so that is all on a project called whose world, the new normal, and it's a hip hop and climate justice project. Um, it's a part of a national call to action by, um, creative wildfire, which is a trifecta of uh, Climate Justice Alliance, New Economy Coalition, and Movement Generation, and they 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 um, many artists applied, but they picked four different artists um, and gave us each a grant of anywhere up to seven thousand dollars to do a project on on um, on what's going on in the climate and on their their creative wildfire manifesto. I, there's two ciphers, one that happens in Oakland and one that happened in here in New York City with different MCs, rappers of the African diaspora talking about their take on climate. Those are both up on YouTube on the Black Gold Movement website. Um, and then I did an EP, um, which includes that song that you're talking about. And the and that verse I actually finished right before we we started mixing the project the second verse, there was a different verse in place. And I was in Puerto Rico with my extended family that helped raise me. And we're, we were talking a lot about the African diaspora and being mixed heritage and what that means for Puerto Rican people, what that means for me personally, and so on and so forth. And it just really hit me like, oh, I like, I've always thought of ancestors because of my like own spiritual practice as being 
the African people in my lineage, but like actually my ancestors actually come from multiple places and each person walks with their ancestors, you know? And I was like, wow, I've been, because of my experience as a black woman um, and be experiencing so much anti-black racism. So having such a strong black identity um, and being mistreated on that basis and people, particularly people, you know, making comments too about how I look and so on and so forth. I have like this very strong black identity, but I was like, I'm leaving a part of myself out. And I'm also leaving a a part of my own legacy and, and, and story. And I started thinking about now that I live in New York city, it's really deep because I'm walking through the neighborhoods where my Italian ancestors immigrated to. I'm walking through the neighborhoods where my my condition, like my folks from St. Kitts and Nevis, you know, lived or bought homes or I'm walking through the neighborhoods where the folks who were who escaped the South, you know, uh, fleeing white supremacist terror and came up, you know, in the dark of the night uh, fleeing from the KKK. I'm walking through their neighborhoods and I'm like, whoa, it's really deep because I've, I'm a West Coast girl. And so I've always been removed from this place, this coast where a lot of people arrived, but in such different ways, you know? Um, And so it just gave me this different integration around, you know, the, the role too. And like, oh, wow, this is really complex. Like my Italian ancestors came here, not as white people, but in my grandfather's, he's the first generation that was born here. In his lifetime, he was born a person of color. Italians weren't considered white but when he died he died a white man right and so that's so crazy yeah i remember like my it was freshman year like i took uh i took some class that was supposed to like go over american culture and racism and it opened up with that and a lot of us were just confused like why are we talking about white people but yeah it's it's interesting. It's not interesting. It's actually really terrible. It's just the identity of the word, the concept of black, like being black. They don't, they don't care necessarily about the color of your skin, but mm-hmm. you know, that his, that part of history just illustrates that it's not rooted in, in a heritage or a culture or a certain tradition. You know, it's not rooted in reality. I mean, races is a made up construct, but our heritage is real. You know, our DNA is real. We can trace it back like, oh, my people came from this place, you know, for thousands of years. So that's real. But the whole, the construct of racism, racism actually has not been around for that long. When we look at all of the different, um, you know, systems of oppression. And so one of the leaders that I really respect, her name is Barbara Love. She She's like, racism had a beginning. And so therefore it could have an end. If people could create, mm. you know, three or four basic races just come up with like, pull out of thin air, like this is mongoloid and this is Negroid and this is caucus, you know, like it was made up. Um, Actually, there's like so much more diversity, right? But that whole system was just a justification to exploit and extract resource. So here we are back to that part of the conversation. But just to say, um, forward ever is just me exploring that. And I think in hip hop, like, as you said, it's really important. Like I don't have two black parents and that, that does mean like, I have to look at, Oh, like how did my people get here? And like what I was saying about those who came over on the ships through Ellis Island, the European ancestors thinking about their lives as non-USers 
coming to have access to this place, right? But I know I know that when they were coming, they weren't thinking, oh, I'm going to take part in the attempted genocide of indigenous people, right? And the U.S. wasn't sharing that information or framing it that way. So just th- that was like me kind of trying to just chew on and wrap my mind around that and how all of that is is those systems of oppression are what has put us in this situation, what's created the climate crisis. Anyway, so there's Forward Ever, Remember is another track, and it's, it's similar in that it's just, it's about creating hope, but also just about kind of taking the bird's eye view on what's happened over these years and kind of like how we it's about remembering what what happened and asking people to to do that work of like what what happened and what part did you play and what part are you playing now and how do we get this loss that we would turn a blind eye to this level of harm happening to our planet and and all of our peoples um above that is my newest single um above that black joy featuring the legendary Taj Mahal. How did you two meet to collaborate? Taj Mahal is a person that has been in my life for a very, very long time. And I have been wanting to like work with him forever. And it took a very long time for me to get his attention musically, (laughs) you know? And uh, I think one of the things I was raised on his music I really, with this work around the African diaspora, that's work that he's been doing since before I was born. And I felt like it was a a really perfect place to start this part of my journey musically to begin sampling his his guitar music because his music kind of samples from throughout the diaspora as well. And a lot of people don't know about him. And he's like a very, he's like a national treasure in it a really influential artist. But above that, Black Joy is just like a Black Joy anthem. And it's just an encouragement to people to to seek uh, elevation and good, good energy and good vibrations, regardless of what has happened in the past, whether that's in your lineage or, you know, in your life. It's also about kind of like, I don't want to say taking the high road because there's a lot of respectability politics in that, but it's about like, when it's about, you know, that moment when like someone does something really horrible to you and you could choose to do the same thing back or you could like, you know, take yourself out of that situation, maybe, maybe restrict access to you, but like, and then you have to have the feelings about what happened. Like, wow, that humiliated me. Like that hurt me or that messed with my money that they took my job or whatever the, the case may be um, on a personal all the way out to when we're looking at what has happened to Black people, you know, in this country. It's like, are we going to, are we going to stay? It's what happened to us and what has the these systems of oppression are not our fault, but what we do have power over, right, is ha- digging into our healing work, right, and letting go of the wounds and the trauma and the baggage through that healing work, and being able to kind of overcome and and let people do their, you know, let those who have who have harmed 
do their own work and walk their own path and deal with kind of the the impacts of of their bad behavior, right? And not to kind of stay down on that vibration of like, oh, you did this to me, I'm gonna do that to you, you know, or even something that happens uh, a lot with us as humans is we come we become addicted to our trauma or our pain or our limitations. And, you know, we might not think of it as an addiction, but it's like even a negative self-doubt or, you know, a phrase that goes through our head a lot. Sometimes it's like, well, I'm this or I'm that or I'm not this or I can't. And it becomes a certain type of a, a vibration that we cling to. Well, I can't because I don't believe I don't. And I'm not saying like, and it's so easy not to do that. We all across race, gender, class, all these identities, we all have big, big struggles and have been hurt and wounded in big ways just because our society's kind of dysfunctional and and children get really hurt and families are trying their best across the board, across the world. But it's not, it's not the kindest place for children, no matter where you're from. And so um, above that is about doing your healing work and rising above, you know, rising above the past, rising above your wounds, rising above the traumas, rising above the haters and just uh, kind of really to bring it full circle back to how we begun this conversation. It's about like going to any lengths to excavate every bit of your humanity. That part of you, when you were a baby and you were born into this world, just like so open, so loving, you know, all of that, going back and excavating every aspect of that humanity so that you get to have the full range of emotion and joy and, and pleasure and all the, all, all, you know, there's a lot of pain too in being a human and in humanity, but not allowing that pain to kind of trap you in ways that would harm you or harm other people, um, or that would have you suffering unnecessarily, like kind of replaying the things, the hard things that have happened to you, um, and being able to kind of bloom into who you are and what you were meant to be and do here. So that's really what above that is about. And I love the song and I'm really interested in what people think about it, but I'm also in a place in my life where I stand by my work. I produce all my 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 songs and my music and my projects, not as a beat maker, but I'm saying like as an executive producer, you know, with the vocal arrangements, with the sounds, with everything. And so I I really love, I love it. And I love, uh, I hope that other people love it and enjoy it, but I'm interested to hear, you know, what people think about it, so. I read into the way that you said, but I stand by my work just because I write music too. And there was a period where if I asked someone to listen and wanted their feedback, it was like, well, they're going to tell me what to change. And now it's not so much like that anymore. Like, right. Yeah, here, um, like, uh, you know, I sent some final mixes out to my musicians for an EP I'm, I'm wrapping up. And even up till like early this year, it would be like, you know, what do you think as in like, what changes do you want? And, and this one is like, right. What do you guys think? Uh, can't go any hotter on the drums. Like I basically just, I kind of knew my, my drummer and I have been friends since high school. So I, I know he wants them louder. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. So I just was like, yeah, I can't, I can't do that part. Um, 
but I also see them being satisfied with it. But I, I'm, I think I'm moving into that phase where you're at, where you're like, you know, like I already made the decisions I need to make with this mix or this, whatever the work is. Um, yeah. But you know, you tell me your thoughts just because I'll take that with me going forward. Um, yeah. But it doesn't, it used to mean I'm just going to change what they don't like. And it doesn't mean that anymore. It's more like a, just a conversation, you know? Yeah. And I think that that's one of the things that's really exciting about, I'm going to share a hack that I know a lot of songwriters and producers know, but that I share with people when I'm like, if I'm co-writing or I'm producing a track for them and they start freaking out about changes or edits, right? Like when things become so precious, which I know you know about this as a songwriter, right? It's like, no, you can't take the bridge. Like it's, uh." but the thing is that what what I feel like is allowing me to stand by my decisions is like, I'm like, I'm the producer. Like we could do a remix a year from now and like pull the drums and do this shit acoustic, you know, completely. Or we could flip it and like make the chorus, the intro and make the intro, the hook and have that repeat. Like there's a million different ways that you can make a song, especially when you're coming from a producer, songwriter standpoint. So I think that that's also something exciting when it's not like, like you said, you're not seeking validation, right? Through like, does a person like it or not? Doesn't mean that it's good or it's bad, right? Is it the best expression of your work in that moment and the kind of technology and resources you have access to? Maybe there is a mix that you do with your drummer one day and you're like, all right, you know what? Let's do a remix. And like, you could, let's see how your drums sound. Like, go ahead, crank it up, you know? And it's like, it might come out totally different and cool, but it's like, that's that version. And so I think that, I think it used to be so scary to like have different versions or switch it up. But in my mind now I'm like, yeah, this is this particular master you know, and like we can remix it in a million different ways or somebody else, you know, like DJ Premier or like, you know, Ninth Wonder could take it and and probably take it to a different level and be like, Coco, I'm gonna need you to fly in these vocals here. These are, and I'll be like, yes, let's do it. You know what I'm saying? And I'm sure that that, you know, that version could be really incredible. So. Yeah, but it's it's just cool to hear the way that you phrase it that like I stand by my work, all my productions. I can hear that you were like, yeah, I've already been in that other phase. Yes. And I'm not there anymore. Yeah. It's just cool to Thank you. to notice that. And I, th- I think if I weren't a songwriter, I wouldn't pay any attention to that. But because I am, I like- You know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Thank you for noting that. Oh, to me, it's like almost a complete distraction. Like I can't focus on anything, anything else of like, oh, I totally get what they're, what they're getting at here. It's certainly more fun to be in the second phase of that when you're, and you can get done, work done more efficiently too. Cause I mean, a lot of us, especially there, there's a learning curve to music and writing music and music production and performing music. And a, a lot of that learning curve when you're doing recorded music is like, just knowing that you made the right choices where you're instead of being like, Oh, maybe, maybe this bass needs some distortion or some color. Right. And then you try that and you're like, I I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. And then you take it away and then you try something else. Whereas if you approach a song, it's like, I'm going to see what I can do with this. Like I know the song you start with, I know the song stands for itself. Now, what could I do with it? 
when we're in production here? Like what kind of style do I want to put on it? And I remember earlier you were talking about like feeling sometimes like you get put in a box. Mm-hmm. You weren't talking about music then. I think a lot of creative people can relate to that feeling too. Yeah. Like just pick an, pick an artist, like ask them how they pick their genre or ask them how they decide like what instrument to play, you know? Mm-hmm. It's like, are, am I cutting off all these other possibilities? Like maybe, yeah, right. but, but which one, you know, if it's an instrument, which one speaks to you? Like which one do you like when you hold it? Which one feels good? I think a lot of it bleeds over, which is probably why you can't, you can't help share and I can't help ask more about like the stuff you care about um, when it comes to the climate emergency and, and everything else we discussed. I want to change subjects a, a little bit because there was one other element that I thought was like, just impressive, which is that you were doing mentorship programs with the community. I didn't get to read all of the articles, but I wanted to hear from you what that's like, because mentorship's really important. And I think that lots of organizations have mentorship programs. I don't think that a lot of them are applied well. Like an organization may have a mentorship program, but it may be just who wants to be a mentor. And that could just be people trying to get resume bullets where like mm-hmm. when you can, when you know, like when you connect with a mentor, you guys, uh, you like have things in common, you have similar experiences. Um, there's some way that you connect beyond just like, I needed a mentor. Uh, mm-hmm. That seems to be the ones that really stick and the ones that really make an impact on somebody. And it doesn't have to be like in their whole life. It could just be in like a certain aspect of their career. Um, but I wanted to hear what that experience has been like for you. And this was these programs. You said that you're in New York now. I'm in New York now. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I'm bi-coastal. I'm actually headed back to the Bay and I'll be out that way for a little bit too. But I'm I'm based in New York and I'm back working on both coasts now. Okay. So are your mentorship programs based in the Oakland area or in New York? At this very moment, I am not doing any like one-on-one mentorship and Black Gold Movement isn't doing any mentorship, but I have over the years, you know, worked with several nonprofits. So, okay, two two things. One, just you before you made the transition, you said something about me being boxed in and speaking to that and speaking to the, how it related to the music. And I'll just say one thing connected to that, which is, There's this quote that really was, I don't know if it was a paradigm shift, but it was definitely like there was a fork in the road and I chose to go left. And that was coming upon Tony K. Bambara's quote, which says that the role of the artist is to make the revolution irresistible. And she wrote this originally about the writer, but someone had rephrased it and it stuck with me. I mean, it hit me upside the head. I've also heard other leaders say that we will we can't have a clear perspective on what's happening in culture and society unless we always keep one foot in our healing work and one foot in transforming society. You know how like sometimes you put your head down, you're just like, okay, pay the bills, take care of my family, da-da-da-da-da. Like I know there's stuff going on in the world, but I, I got to take care of me and mine. I've heard a lot of leaders talk about like, you will more and more have a warped and skewed perspective on the world unless you you maintain one foot 
in social change and transformation. Anyway, so just to say to you, when I saw that quote, I was like, it just spoke to me. I'm not saying everybody needs to do what I do, but that was part of like a clarity, an aha moment in my, my path as an artist of like, this resonates with me. Like, yes, this is, this is a, my role. You know, I make music about everything about life, but like, yes, I love this. I, I do want to make music that encourages those who are already working to transform society and invites, joyfully invites folks who feel like it's not for them or feel too scared or don't know where to start. Like, come on, let's do this. And how beautiful would it be if we, and you as a musician, you know this, and I saw it in your face when you talked about your musical process, right? Music is really powerful. It's really powerful. It can literally have a, a stadium full of people all swaying to the same exact rhythm. It's it's a really powerful, almost sometimes people ex- describe it as transcendent spiritual experience when you go to, you know, a concert and everyone is singing the lyrics of the same song along with the artist. I mean, it's just like, People fall out, they sweat. I mean, you see these videos of music back in the day, people like literally like catching the Holy Ghost, crying, falling on the ground. And it's music is powerful, you know? Why do we have to face the challenges in in our lives personally or in the world from a place of like, oh, this is so hard, this sucks so bad? Why, why not be able to be like, yo, let's sing and dance about it. Like, let's take to the streets and just like celebrate life. Because isn't it so much more fun to take on challenges when you're like connected to people and you're like in the joy and the life of things? I think about when I used to work at an unnamed store where I worked in the bakery coffee shop part of it. And, you know, it was hard work and the the customers were really demanding and rude, but we would just turn on the music and we would be singing and dancing and cleaning. And, oh, yes, sir. What what can I get for you? And And it didn't matter because we were together and we were joyful. And I feel like we have this picture of the battlefield as like this this painful, horrible place. And in a way it is, but like, if we can take our music and our art to that place and to the reality of the world where we all are, we're all here, whether we like it or not, whether we take our heads out of the sand, you know, and look at what's going on around us, we're all here. So may as well do this together and joyfully so just to answer that you know i've dealt with that sentiment many times on a ship a lot of times the younger people come on and they're like i don't know how many times i said to a new person like i understand they'll they'll say like i don't really want to be i'll be like what's going on i don't really want to be here and i'm like do you think i do (laughs) do you think (laughs) you think trey wants to be here or brian Mm -hmm. like but we are. So let's do something like, you know, we, we got to do our work, but when we get time, we can do, we did like game tournaments or whatever. Mm-hmm. We try to find something that more than one person's going to enjoy. We did like lifting challenges at the gym, but yeah, I've dealt with that sentiment a lot. And one of the things we do on Saturdays to give the cooks some time off, a department will take over the galley yeah. for morale night. And what's funny is that everyone will be like, oh, it's morale night. Like, it's my department. 
Um, and my, my department was combat systems and we would go in with kind of a mixed eclectic group of personalities. We're like the weird people on a ship is usually the electronics information systems and the gunners. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then everyone gets in the galley and next thing you know, like we're blasting music. There's exactly. a pizza, there's a pizza dough fight happening. Um, Austin's got his grandma's calzone recipe and he's like, yes! forget this pizza. My grandma used to make these calzones and I'm one up in it. I'm going to egg wash it. And like, like yes! I thought no one wanted to be here and now everyone's having a great time together, but it's that camaraderie that like, you know, we're all here anyway. So let's make yep. it a good time. Hello. And I know we can't always be like that, but you know, a lot of times it can be. So. Yeah. Absolutely. I'm like, man, what did you ask me? There was, oh, about the mentorship. So I'll just say quickly, <laughs> in my culture, we have this thing, and I don't know if you have this thing, but we have this thing where we, we say pay it forward, right? Yeah. So, I, yeah. yeah. So it's it's about paying it forward. And it's also like giving the gifts that have been given to us, you know, and I feel like that's the thing about growing up. Like I don't have children yet. Um, under the right conditions, you know, some lucky guy might be able to get me to be the best mom in the world. Um, I would wrap the entire universe around my children if I had them out of my body or not. Being the oldest girl in my mom's unit of children, I think gave me a sense from a very young age, like a maternal, like a responsibility for others. My mom always would say like, no matter what you, you guys have each other to us. And we, you know, we've struggled with that as adults trying to figure it out. No family is like perfect. Um, and ours is definitely not, but I think that that at least sentiment gave me a sense of like responsibility. But also, like, I literally survived my childhood and adolescence from the kindness and generosity of both strangers and people who were not blood related, but but chose to relate to me and my family as if we were as a young youngster. By the time I was in the Bay, 14, 15, 16, I already was not living with my 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 parents neither of my parents and by 15 i wasn't living with any family members the after school programs the programs for at risk high risk youth or urban youth or all that those programs literally saved my life mentors that you know did poetry or songwriting workshops or performance live performance workshops i was a part of organizations like Youth Speaks, which is a literacy organization that organizes the national team poetry slams um, and, and regional team poetry slams around the country and some internationally as well. Um, youth Movement Records, which doesn't exist anymore, which was a youth run record label, but it was more like youth driven with adults in there with us where that's where the first time I got to be in the studio at 16 and, and record myself and we would get to connect with, you know, Zumbi from Zion, I rest in peace, who's who's passed. But he, you know, he was like touring the world. Him and Amp Live were touring the world. And they would come back to the Bay and they would come kick it with us, like 14, 15, 16, 17 year olds, all different type of backgrounds. 
you know, if they really liked a song that you made, they would, fe- you know, Zumbi would feature on people's songs. I remember at some point, this was like early, much earlier in his career, Kanye West came through, Miss um, the Fab came through. There were so many, Jennifer Johns. I just, so there was this sense during that period of my adolescence, right, of community and just like the the superstars in the Bay Area music scene were making themselves, even though Kanye's not from the Bay, but, you know, he came through. Guapale, like all these like, Uber stars, right, made themselves accessible to us and like share their knowledge company of profits. Um, I'm trying to think of like who else. The Bay Area has a culture like that because it has a rich history of cultural organizing and and arts that's so grassroots that that and it's a it's hip hop too, but just I think what I'm trying to express is that, you know. I benefited from that, from getting to be mentored by artists. My older sister, Aya de Leon, at the time was like on death poetry jam, you know, and was like, for my 18th birthday, she's like, send me all your poems and um, I'm going to make a chat book for you, you know? And so she printed out these chat books of all my poems. That was like my first piece of merch ever, right? And she gave it to me for my 18th birthday. Um, yeah, so I feel like, and she was in the mix too with You Speaks. And so there was this understanding of like the adults, artists, you know, linking up with us, mentoring us, listening to our music, you know, giving us feedback. And it was built into a lot of the like structure of the organizations that were like these free programs for all different type of young people. So I think probably like that's where a lot of that came from, for me, I was really, really, really fortunate to become a part of, you know, to be in Youth Speaks and Youth Movement Records. One, Youth Speaks, I was a part of their youth advisory board, Spokes. And to be a part of that program, you had to pick like, kind of like, I would say like a a department, right? And so mine was workshop facilitation, curriculum development and workshop facilitation. So if you were a young person that pick was in that crew I forgot exactly how you say it but you learned how to develop curriculum and facilitate workshops so at 17 here I am in middle schools and elementary schools and high schools um, and continuation programs facilitating creative writing workshops you know for people my age and younger and um I think it really set the trajectory for me, you know, um, and allowed me to pick up a lot of these skills and, and build a lot of relationships with folks. So I think it just like honestly bloomed out from that. And the thing about mentorship, it wasn't like I was like, I'm going to become a mentor. It was like, I just got older. <laughs> I just like, you know, I, I can see what like, you're saying. It's like, it was just part of my life and you know, it got to be my turn is kind of what I'm hearing. Right. Well, I looked up and I'm like, oh, snap. Like, I mean, it really changed when I got into my 30s, because remember when I started it, I'm like, these are my peers. Right. Yeah. Or I'm not that far apart from them in age. But by the time I was 30, I was like, whoa. And I really have I, I still feel like I'm learning about how to be a good ally to younger people and young adults as an adult, because for so long, it was more of like a even playing field. And you, you kind of have to adjust and understand that there's a power difference Mm -hmm. and, 
you know, learn how to, I don't know, make space for, for the young people's minds and leadership. Yeah. It's not as easy as it sounds. No, but I'm trying to think with Black Gold Movement, mentorship, I feel like will happen naturally as we produce projects. It will happen with through the artists' collaborations with, you know, more established producers or artists uh, uplifting and helping produce and support and amplify younger folks, their projects and stuff like that. But we're not there yet. And also, you know, it just so happens that Black Gold Movement, like I said, the container is an organization, but we'll see what unfolds from it, you know, um, if if it becomes more heavy on the mentorship programs or or what. Um, I think my my bag, my wheelhouse is really um, is supporting uh, and amplifying other artists. That's definitely important. Well, before we wrap up, let's take a minute and tell everyone about your new EP. Everyone who is listening. You need to run up these streams. You need to buy the EP. You need to tell all your connected mogul friends to holla at me, tap in, <laughs> invest, get in before I blow up. You need a percentage of this. No, but um, I'll just tell y'all if you're listening to the interview, I Am Jane Rose is going to be a bonus track, uh. even though there's like a separate EP coming out next year called I Am Jane Rose featuring several other MCs. We're dropping, we're putting Jane Rose, the bonus track on it. But yeah, all together, it will be eight, eight tracks. There's even a spoken word piece. Y'all not ready for this next project. This is the first of three, three projects. It's a trilogy called Confessions of a Black Feminist Rapper, and we're doing it backwards. So we're moving, we're actually re- releasing it from part three back to part one. So we're going to tell the story backwards. And what about if someone wants to participate in the I Am Jane Row Challenge? How do they do that? If you want to join the I Am Jane Row Challenge, Follow Black Gold Movement on Instagram. Check out what artists and MCs are doing with this concept of hip hop and reproductive justice and the overturning of Roe v. Wade. Um, it's really, really, really an exciting time. Um, so please also engage in that. That's all for this discussion with Coco Pela. There's a link in the show notes that will get you to the I Am Jane Roe Challenge. I also have links to Coco's page where you can learn more about Black Gold Movement, more about her as an artist, and you can find all of her releases, of course. Take a moment to subscribe and leave us a review if you can. Thanks for listening to On My Own Dime.